leadership on this as well. Okay, let's get rolling here. Um, I want to tell you a story about two churches. Let's call them Church A and Church B, just to keep it simple this morning. Church A is successful. I think you could say remarkably successful by just about any metric. It is an urban church. It was planted. It's a very young church, uh, but a very fast-growing church. Um, the members are excited at this church. The leadership is, is mature and Christ-centered, and the, the members love them very much. Uh, the church is energized. I mean, the membership of Church A, they can't stop talking about all of the good things happening at their church. The preaching is dynamic and life-changing. The worship experiences are vibrant. You can really palpably feel the Holy Spirit of God moving among that church as it worships. The city around Church A has been impacted by that church. And even people who aren't part of the church are talking about that group. And one of the reasons is this well-earned reputation. This church is generous. This church is servant-oriented. They care for each other, but they also care for the needy out in the community. Um, the people in Church A are givers. They are eager. They're to serve. They're always looking for places to make a difference, to help out. Uh, in the book of the, the greatest churches around, this would be chapter 1, Church A. Now let me tell you about Church B. Things are a little different there, all right? Um, things are kind of a mess at Church B. Uh, members are finding these days quite a bit to grumble and complain about. Um, part of it is just the diversity of this church. People from different backgrounds who are coming together. Uh, people from different walks of life, different perspectives. And that always makes it harder to do community when you have that going on. It is getting more and more difficult for the leaders of Church B to hold things together, to keep the church unified. Many members are growing more and more concerned with the changes they're seeing at the congregation. They had loved the church so much, but now, I don't know, things have just, things are different. So many new people have come in and so many new ideas have come into the church. At Church B, resources are, are getting scarcer and it's more difficult, both human and financial resources, to, to kind of stretch those to meet the needs of the community. At Church B, the leaders have this constant feeling of, of being overwhelmed, of being overworked. It seems like new problems and new issues are cropping up on a weekly basis. Uh, leaders are, are concerned about the future of this church, um, and they're concerned on a personal level that they have kind of gotten away from what they were called to do, from their primary mission. They've kind of gotten pulled into other agendas, some of them good, but just not their agendas. Uh, some members are complaining that, that some of their friends and certain groups within the congregation are being neglected. Maybe even being treated as kind of second-class citizens, that they're kind of, their needs are falling through the cracks. Others wonder why the... Other members are wondering in Church B why it seems like the leadership has kind of gotten a little bit away from the focus on prayer, uh, the focus on, on just leaning on God. And some wonder why the preaching and teaching at Church B is not what it used to be. If you were writing a book on churches in crisis, Church B would be chapter 1. It is a church that is kind of at a breaking point. 
Um, well, here's the thing. Where are these two churches located? What's going to happen with these two churches? For the answers this morning, we will open our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Luke is writing this book of Acts, a history of the early church. Acts chapter 6, we find these two churches. They are both located in Jerusalem, and really they are not two churches. They are one and the same. One church with, that everything I said is actually true of this church. Um, all of the above is happening there. That's the thing about growth. That's the thing about new people coming in. It's wonderful. Christ is reaching people. Lives are being changed. But the more a church grows and changes, the more struggles and challenges it faces, right? Um, And that's what was happening in Jerusalem. The apostles who were the leaders of this church were feeling more and more stretched. They were feeling more and more overwhelmed and overworked. And the more groups within the church tended to feel with the growth of the church, they had a tendency to feel like they were being neglected or ignored. Rifts and fractures in Acts chapter 6 were beginning to appear in this amazing church. And that is what growth and success inevitably bring, whether it's to an organization or to a business or a church, it brings challenges. So let's get started by recognizing not only in Acts 6 the challenges that specifically this group of leaders was facing, but really any church leader or really any organizational or business leader faces is just part of being in a leadership role. So these are on the outline this morning. We'll go through them fairly quickly, but you see all of these at work in this chapter, right? There was resource scarcity, all right? So leaders were having to make choices about where to allocate resources of, of people and, and money and energy because there are more and more people coming into the church with more and more issues and problems and needs and things going on, but the resources were not unlimited. Their faith in God, God's power is unlimited, but their money was not, their time was not, their people who were willing to serve, those were limited resources, and so there was this this stress caused by resource scarcity. The second one there you see is change. Change always brings stress. Whether it's adding someone to your family, a new baby is born, or your daughter gets married, you have a new son-in-law. I mean, change, whether it's in a family, or whether it's in a business, or certainly within a church, it causes stress. It makes leading more difficult. Diversity and differences. The more different kinds of people, the less kind of homogeneous is the group, but the more you have these pockets of people who are quite different, the more challenging it is to keep the group united. Um, Leaders, uh, especially of growing, successful churches, tend to feel a little overwhelmed and a little overworked. Um, They always have to deal with complaints. I don't care if a church has eight members or 18,000 members. There will be complaints. There will be people who are not happy with how things are going, and leaders get to hear about those and deal with those. And then finally, as the church grows and changes, it is more and more challenging to stay on mission. Who did God call me to be? Or leaders ask, 
what, what did God call us to do here? What is our focus? What do we need to be primarily concerned about? Because the more things grow and change, the more issues there are to handle, and the more we can kind of drift away from our central calling, from our main focus. So in the narrative that Luke writes, we find all of these things at play, but we also get an opportunity to see how exceptional Christian leaders handled those challenges, and we can learn a lot from that. So let's go to Acts chapter 6. We're just going to read the first seven verses this morning. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hellenistic Jews, or the Hebra- I'm sorry, the Hebraic Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, these are the apostles, they gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. There's a lot to appreciate and like about this text. For one thing, I appreciate Luke's honesty. I mean, this is the this is the biggest, most successful church going at that time. Um, the leadership of this church are the apostles. I mean, can you imagine? There are miracles happening among them. The men leading them are literally inspired by God. Um, and Luke says... They had problems. This was not a perfect church. They did not have everything figured out. Okay? I appreciate Luke telling us, look, as much as this church had going for it, it had a lot of issues too. The second thing I appreciate about, appreciate about this text, it, it gives us a glimpse of some pretty creative problem solving. I like how it also gives us a look at how mature leaders behave. When they are faced with a crisis. Uh, and I also like the idea, uh, this useful idea they had of deacons, right? Um, we have a problem. Let's find specific guys, uh, these deacons, who will be equipped to deal with this specific gap in our ministry, this specific problem that has arisen. And finally, I love the way, even in our messes, even in our challenges and our stresses, I love the way we get to see how God is still at work. How God is not just at work when everything looks great, but even when things get a little bit messy, the Spirit of God is still at work. And so, I think I can learn some things here. I think we can learn some things from the apostles here. And they were, the apostles, the leadership team of the Jerusalem church. They were men who were devoted to Jesus Christ. Most of them had had walked and been friends with Jesus Christ during his ministry here. Uh, They were people who loved, loved his mission. 
and were completely sold out on, on following his mission. And so they really model for us what exceptional Christian leadership looks like. So let's see what we can learn from these guys this morning. One thing, and this is kind of, I guess, kind of a no-brainer, but it's good to remember, is that exceptional leaders pay attention to the people they serve. I mean, they got their fingers on the pulse. They are listening, and that's why we're calling this the principle of listening. Leaders know what the people are saying, what the people are thinking. Shepherds in the church pay attention to the sheep. They know where their flock is headed. They know what the flock is talking about. Um, In this church, okay, first century Jerusalem, this rather remote outpost uh, in the, I mean, it's a large city, but it was a rather remote part of the Roman Empire, Remember, it was not easy growing old there. It was not easy being an elderly person there. There was no social security. I mean, you weren't getting a check from Rome in the mail, social security each month. Um, There were not social programs and and things set up by the government because you weren't a Roman citizen, all right? So you didn't get those benefits. Um, Essentially, you were on your own except for your family, right? If you were an older person, you were a hundred percent dependent on your family to make sure that your needs got met. Now, widows had it especially tough. Didn't have those husbands around anymore, and some of them did not have any family members left. So they were really on their own except for their spiritual family, right? Their church family. And so this church has thousands of members at this point. There were widows in the church who had no family, and they were um, from Jewish backgrounds. They would have been a little more plugged in, a little more well-known in the community because they had grown up with, with a lot of the people at the church, and the apostles, they probably knew them and stuff like that. And then there were Grecian widows who came from a non-Jewish background, uh, probably were converts to Judaism at some point, but probably in the very recent past, and then came to follow Jesus, and they were less well-connected. Well, what, what was happening here is that since these Grecian widows or, or Gentile widows here are more on the fringe of the community, they kind of got neglected. When food was being taken around, all right, meals on wheels or whatever, meals on camels or whatever in the first century, was being taken around to the widows, they slipped through the cracks. It wasn't like anyone intentionally decided, yeah, let's stick it to the Grecian widows. Who cares about those ladies? It was that they just didn't get noticed. People forgot about them. Now, they had needs. These needs were not being met. And there were people that really cared about these ladies. And they were noticing that their needs were being met. And so they started grumbling. And they started complaining. They didn't like what was happening. And honestly, who can blame them, right? Well, the church leaders, okay, think about it. The church leaders in Jerusalem, there were a number of options open to them. There are a lot of passages in the Old Testament about it's wrong to complain. It's wrong to grumble. I mean, the Israelites, you know, for hundreds of years were just constantly complaining. God was not happy. So so the apostles could have just wagged their finger and quoted some scriptures that you shouldn't be complaining. Quit your grumbling. That's a sin. They did not choose that approach. They did not choose that approach. They could have chosen the approach. Well, 
If you're not happy here at this church, leave. Go find another church. That wasn't their approach either. What was their approach? Well, they listened. The apostles listened, and the apostles took action. Verses 1 and 2. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against. That's a pretty serious charge. Discriminated against in the distribution of food. So the twelve... They heard that, and they called a meeting of all the believers. This is important. Let's all get together, and let's talk about this. Um, Great leaders are good listeners. But check this out. While they cared about these widows, and they agreed, this is serious, something needs to be done, they had the wisdom to know, we personally do not need to run the food program. Right? We personally, the apostles, the leaders here in this church, we don't need to stop what we're doing and add more on top of it just because this is important and something needs to be done. If they had taken on, think about that, if they had taken on more responsibilities, if they had decided it's up to us to make sure this is done right, then they would have been getting further and further away from what it was that they were called to do, what it was that the church really needed for these men to be about. Verse 2, so the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should not spend, or we apostles should spend our time, rather, teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Now, don't hear them saying, food program, I'm an apostle. That's beneath me. Let's find someone else to do that. I am way too important to be serving. That's not what they're saying, is it? Um, They're not saying that at all. Um, They knew they could only do so much and do it well. They understood that trying to govern, manage every aspect of church life was impossible for them. And essentially, if they were to try to do that, they would have to abandon their primary roles, all right? So they were wise enough to see the entire community is going to suffer if they, the apostles, added yet another ministry to their list of responsibilities. So, here's what we notice about exceptional leaders. Here goes. They say yes to their core mission by saying no to other even good works that might take them off their mission. This is the principle of focus. It's knowing what you are supposed to be doing and making sure you don't get away from that. Part and parcel of saying no to some things, saying, you know that's important, but it's not what I need to be doing, is the willingness to turn loose of the need to control everything. Great leaders don't feel like they need to control everything. They don't feel like they need to have their hands in every ministry. They know that a huge part of leadership is trusting good people to lead and serve and empowering them to do just that. By the way, I think you can notice a lot of these principles, these aren't just church principles. These are just (laughs) leadership principles in general, right? 
So, so this is the next thing. Essentially, exceptional leaders are willing to trust projects and ministries to people of high character and competence. This is the principle of delegation, right? The principle of delegating to others. Verse 3, the apostle said, Okay, church, choose seven of your own men who are good, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. We will put them what? We will put them in charge of this work. Talk about turning loose of control and empowering others to lead. Choose them, and we will pass this on to them. It's interesting, isn't it? The apostles even delegated the task of choosing the seven men, right? I mean, the apostles weren't even the ones who were doing the choosing. They said, hey, church, you guys go. Here's, some, here's a profile of what we're looking for. Okay, here's the kind of guy. But you guys go, and you guys choose seven men, and we will empower them to do the job. What a great leadership model here. Now, something that I think kind of gets overlooked is the creativity here. I mean, deacons, uh, that's a really kind of old concept where we've, a lot of us have kind of grown up. You know, maybe my grandpa was a deacon or this or that. This is a brand new thing here, all right? Remember, in Acts chapter 6, they are doing something innovative. They are doing something different. They are having to change, to adapt, because their circumstances are changing and uh, changing rapidly. Um, so they're doing something new here. They're innovating because they realized if we don't adapt, the church will not continue to grow, will not continue to reach souls for Jesus. And it's interesting, thinking of innovation or creativity here, as you read that boring list of names, they're all Greek names, right? The problem is these Greek widows are being ignored Let's make sure we choose the appropriate people to serve them, to look out for them. And so from Stephen to Philip to Prokhor, I mean, all these guys are Greek or have Greek backgrounds and uh, not by accident, right? Not by accident. Just a note. So these guys, it's not like, oh, this job is not that important. Let's, anybody can do it. I mean, this list of names, these are some pretty impressive people that the church has chosen like Stephen Stephen like works miracles and preaches Stephen he becomes famous as the very first Christian martyr who has a vision of Jesus as he's being stoned to death Philip is this amazing evangelist who goes into very different places like Samaria to go and preach the gospel and carry out the mission of Christ. So these are some pretty impressive people that are on this list of the first deacons. And the result of this innovation, if you will, the result of this bold, uh, creative, intrepid decision-making is, verse 7, Luke says, So... The word of God spread. That word so, the Greek word there is chi. It connects it. It says the growth of the church, the continuing uh, explosion of reaching people, it is a direct result of that creative decision making. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Um, so that's an important word there, that little so. Um, the point is, next bullet point there, exceptional leaders recognize and want growth. 
while willing to creatively handle the problems and challenges that come with it. You don't grow without problems, okay? This is the principle of flexibility, or maybe better, the principle of adaptability. You don't grow without problems, okay? Parking problems, space problems, people, all of us have our own problems. So the more people that come into the church, the more problems you have, the more issues you have. Um, So the decision here to appoint these seven special deacons, these servants, allowed the apostles to get back to what they needed to be doing. It freed them up to pray more. It it, it freed them up to teach the Word more and more powerfully. So here's the next principle, really the final principle here. Exceptional leaders have a focus on, they spend time on connecting to God and trusting in His power, not in themselves. This is the principle of prayer, all right? Now, this would be a difference, right, with, with leadership in the church as opposed to leadership in, in a business or in the PTA or something like that, all right? This is essential for godly leaders. They are very intentional about putting God right in the middle of what they're doing. And for the apostles, it meant prayer. We've got to get back to praying. That is one of our primary ministries. Verse 4, Then we, the apostles, once these men are appointed, can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. And that's what we need to be doing. I told First Service this, I'll tell you as well. That is one of the things that I most admire and respect about the shepherds, about the elders of this congregation. They do a lot of good things. But first and foremost... They are men of prayer. I promise you, every Monday night when they get together to meet, the number one thing on their agenda, and usually the thing they spend the most time on, is praying for you. Praying for the flock. They pray over all of the names that get submitted here that you write down and turn in. They pray over the the needs and the names that they know that aren't submitted because they know the flock. And so they're praying about the stuff that gets turned in on Sunday morning, prayer requests. They pray about that. Then they pray about other stuff they know that's going on, the shut-ins, the people who can't be here. And they pray about those. They pray about the situation in Dallas. They pray about the situation in the world every single Monday when they gather together. So anyway, that was free of charge. But our elders, they are amazing prayer warriors, and I love that about them. So... Let's bring it home. What does this have to do with us? Acts chapter 6, 2,000 years ago. uh, This, you know, kind of in many, the first church really there in Jerusalem. What does this have to do with us? Well, a couple of bullet points, three bullet points there at the bottom. At Preston Crest, every member is called to be a servant, using their time, talents, and treasure to serve others. Every member a servant. Now, People get confused or get hung up on or I don't know what about this word deacon, okay? The Greek word, we chose not to translate from Greek to English. If we were to translate it, it would just say servant, right? But we took diakonos and we just said, how can we make that sound English? Okay, deacon, 
right? Diakonos simply means a servant. And it is, it is used most of the time in the New Testament. It is used in a very general way. If you are a Christian, you are supposed to be a diakonos. Old, young, man, woman, new Christian, long-time Christian. You're st- supposed to be a diakonos. You're supposed to be diakonosing, okay? Serving. Now, there is, yes, there is a special role we gather from Acts chapter 6, from places like 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's a special role when there are gaps in the ministry, when there are groups that are being ignored, when there is a mission that requires a special person with a special gift set, or we just want to make sure that the lights get turned on, okay, on Sunday morning. We just want to make sure that, you know, this is done or that is done. We've got it. it, It's something that would be easily neglected. It would be something maybe that nobody really wants to do, but it's really important that it gets done. And so there are some diakonoses that are specially appointed. Hey, make sure you're on this. Make sure we do a good job at this. And so I just want you to know, first off, we're all in, in, in a very real sense biblically called to be deacons, but there is a more specific usage. So that's the second bullet point. In Acts 6, the church in Jerusalem uh, called out these special servants, or big D deacons, diakonos, um, to meet a special need. Okay, These widows are not being served. This particular group of widows is not being served. At Preston Crest, our deacons are called upon, likewise, to kind of serve in the gaps by working in areas which are, and maybe this is not an exhaustive list, but areas that are, are prone to neglect or areas of of really great need or urgency, or areas which require people that have some special know-how, all right? Um, Now, I've taken a break from the different series today so that we could work through Acts chapter 6 and talk about deacons and leadership because today we are beginning a process of selecting additional deacons to serve in this special group of people that stands in the gaps, and that works to make sure that nothing important gets undone. So this brings us to the final bullet point on the outline this morning. At Preston Crescent, it's time to refresh and strengthen our core group of deacons. So, Jerusalem A.D. circa 35, um, they had a fluid and dynamic church situation. Um, There's one here in Dallas in A.D. 2016 as well at Preston Crest. Um, We have had families since we last appointed deacons. We have had some families move away. We have had some some deacons decide that because of changes in their work demands or family situation, they can no longer serve as, as deacons. We have, frankly... We've got some guys at Preston Crest that have been serving for so long and doing such an amazing job, they need a break. And I could give you a couple names, but I won't do that. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But we've got some guys that just frankly need 
a break. Um, they should have their jerseys hung from the rafters and be retired as, as deacons, right? Um, every once in a while, so it's time to do. Well, the other thing I would say, also, by the way, we've had a lot of new people come into Preston Crest. I mean, at PC Connected, they will have another batch of new members coming in. Um, so lots of new people as well that need opportunities to serve and use their gifts. So lots of different things happening in the dynamic of church life, whether it's Jerusalem in the first century or Preston Crest in the 21st century. So, I will end right away, but i got to give you guys a little bit of homework today, all right? Since we're entering this process, and the elders kind of just like in, in Acts chapter 6, the elders are kind of turning this over to you for the church, for you to select names, to bring names to them of, of, of men that you believe might do a good job at this, people of high character, Christ-centered people, competent people. Um, why don't you pray and, and look over Acts chapter 6, right? And maybe 1 Timothy 3, which gives some more specific uh, profiling about what a deacon looks like. And, and maybe, maybe the Spirit of God will give you some names or some people. Man, I think that guy would be great or whatever. So do that for us. That would be the second thing is pray. Pray. Pray for this. Pray for the growth of this church, the continued growth and success of Preston Crest. Pray that God will raise up just the right people, whether it's for deacon or Bible class teacher or future elders or whatever. Pray that God will put the right people in the right places so that we can continue to share uh, the mission of Christ here in this place and with the city of Dallas. Um, And then... Um, so, it, yeah, eventually we're going to need names from you guys, and you'll be hearing more about that. If you are a Preston Crest member, you will be getting a letter this week um, that will tell you more about the process. Basically, uh, somewhere in December, I, actually, I think we have a date there, but I don't remember right offhand, we will be uh, actually laying on hands, appointing these guys so that they can begin serving uh, when the new year starts, when 2017 starts. So that's just kind of a, a glimpse at what's about to come. Um, I think I covered all those things I really needed to hit there. So as we finish, let's just get back to Jerusalem for just a second. So what's going on there? I mean, the big picture. Why is the church exploding? Why is all of this happening in in Acts chapter 6? Well, Jesus. Jesus is going on there. Jesus is changing people's lives. People are finding in Jesus the Lord and Savior that their hearts have always longed for. And so every day it's like more and more people are coming to give their lives to Christ and are becoming part of the church. And maybe that's where you are at right now. It's time to give your life to Christ. At first service, a young man, Alberto, gave his life in baptism, and maybe that's what you need to do today, or maybe you simply need the prayers of your brothers and sisters, of your spiritual family here at Preston Crest. Whatever you need to do to respond to the promptings of the Spirit this morning, we would invite you to do that as we stand together and worship. You call me.